Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Good. Hi, hi there. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. Glad you're here. Okay, first of all, did you love last week's field trip? Mm -hmm. So if you didn't get a chance to watch last week's video, we took you to two places that we love so much. One, Joseph Knight's home, and he's going to come up today. Like his section, uh, section 12, is going to be super similar in theme to what we're going to be talking about today. And then, of course, 13, which is the restoration of the priesthood and the baptisms that happened down there. And we talked about Oliver's part that we just love so much his description of He's just a better writer than Joseph. Bless Joseph's heart, right? Mm -hmm. Joseph's like, I saw an angel. And remember Oliver's (laughs) like, light fluttered like a (laughs) butterfly upon my spirit. He's just like, he's really good at describing (laughs) spiritual things, you know? Um, So you love Oliver's writing. Don't miss that in your reading. It's like an asterisk, you know, so you have to go to it. And he just describes it. In the Joseph Smith history. Oh, and it's so beautiful. So awesome. So we loved being there. There was a big bald eagle. Who knows if we even talked about it, but for some reason, that's my best memory. Remember it was up in the tree and it just was like... And then we waded through the river in our bare feet. Yeah. And those little frogs. Yes. What about the frogs? It was a really, really rad place to One go. time Put we'll on take all of you there when it's not a <laughs> pandemic. We'll all go and you can wade your feet and look at the frogs. So here's kind of the theme of where we're at. This is what happens. If you go, we're starting section 14. We're going 14 through 17. And this is really neat because you get to see some of the leadership personality of Joseph and I guess the Lord's kind of leadership personality. Um, and then it also, these sections help answer the question to somebody who sees, gets kind of their heart gets captured by the grandness of all of this. They kind of think to themselves, oh, how fun. I want to, I want to do that. I want to yeah. be involved. Teach me how to do that. Where, how can I do it in my circumstance? What if I'm a young mom with three little toddlers? Can I have that kind of influence? What if I'm a grandpa? What, you know? Yeah. What um, if I just got home from my mission? What, how can I help? It just feels like that's kind of in our spirit to just say, how can I help? Put me to work. Need me somewhere. Right. Right. And I just, whose song is it? One Republic's? <laughs> They've oh, got this song fun. where they're just like, I just, it's like the lyric in there is like, I want to be needed, mm. you know? And and that might not be you right now because, but there are a lot of people who are thinking, oh, I, I'm i ready. I have space. I have this many minutes. I have this much desire. I just, I want to help out yeah. somehow. This is your section. This is for you. Um, and then we'll talk also about the three witnesses today. They're that rad story um, that is just too good. Um, okay. So if you look at the date of section 14 in your heading, you see that it is June 1829. Put that in your spirit forever. June 1829 (laughs) is when... I wish I had a song for that one. Remember, I have one for Moroni, but I don't have a song for this one. Sometime mid-June 1829, the translation of the Book of Mormon is going to be finished. Um, They do not finish the Book of Mormon down in Harmony, but they finish it up in Fayette, New York in the Peter Whitmer Sr. and Mary Whitmer home up there. So they're getting kind of toward the end of the translation down in Harmony. Joseph's down there. Oliver's down there. Emma's down there. 
and they are getting interrupted all the time. So what Oliver does is he writes a letter to his friend, David Whitmer. Um, Oliver and David met when Oliver first moved into Palmyra and they'd heard about this gold Bible, you know, so they were like, hey, if you ever hear anything about it, let's kind of fill each other in. So Oliver tells him, I'm going down to, to meet him and everything. And then he jumps in. Remember, two days after he gets there, Oliver's in full time. And he's written letters back and forth with David about what's going on. And so the whole Whitmer family is all in. They're so intrigued, intrigued by it. So once things get super rough down in harmony uh, with Joseph and Oliver and they can't finish, Oliver writes to David and says, is there any chance we can come up to your house and work on it and finish it up there. And they are gangbusters over it. They are just, Which yes, you love. absolutely. You love that they're so excited because their house is not a mansion, everyone. It's oh, yeah. so small. <laughs> and there's so many people. See all the people at the top of this page. Yeah, I, we drew the whole family on the journal page so you could see how many people are living in that house. And they are all living house. in this little house. And we will put up for our Monday Instagram a video just so you can kind of see the house. We'll, we'll share a little story from that house about the cute mom of the house and what her experience was. But all of a sudden, here comes more people to this little red house. Yeah, Is it red? I remember yeah, it being red. Yeah, it's I think red. It is. Yeah. Um, so they're so excited to have them and they have to have their own translation room. And anyways, we won't give away all the stuff from that, that little Instagram story, but go check that out. I think you're going to like it. Uh, and connected with the witnesses too. Mm. We'll tell, because yes. there's a great story oh, about witnesses so um, in that little Instagram post. But so section 14, they have moved up to the Whitmer house. Um, all the details of this correspondence you can find in Saints. And this is a really fun story to read. There are some neat miracles that happen. So go check that out. Read this section in Saints. But um, they are there at the, they move up to the house. And all of a sudden you look at section 14, David Whitmer. Swipe over, section 15 is John Whitmer. Swipe over, mm -hmm. section 16 is Peter Whitmer Jr. And all three of them have the same question. Um, they're like, well, Oliver's a writer. <laughs> what can I do? Like, I mm -hmm. want to help. Back last time, it was, or two or last time it was Joseph Knight. Same question. How can I help? Yep. Before that, it was Joseph Smith Sr. How can I help? Hiram, how can I help? It's all the, this is, this is what's happening right now. And we love that as you get into, let's just start with David's, because his story is so fun to pull all of this together. That he's, he goes to Joseph and says, what does the Lord want me to do? And in verse 11 of section 14, of section 14 and you, you love this pattern that we've kind of been watching because in nine, he says, behold, I am Jesus Christ. And in 11, he says, and you are David. And I don't know why, but I just love that part where he's like, remember who I am and remember who you are. And then I'm going to give you your assignment, whatever it is. And David is about to get his assignment. And it says, and thou art called to assist. And I just wonder, what did he think right when that happened? Like, do you ever have those moments where you're like, I want you to give me like my own job, my own calling, my title, my whatever it is. And David is called to assist. And what would that mean exactly? Mm. What was that going to look like? And as I've thought about this, I think it's so interesting because some people build an entire career on assisting, like John Stockton, right? Yeah. That was his job. He was called to 
assist. That that was his job, right? Carl Malone made the baskets. John Stockton was called to assist. And what would we have done as jazz fans if we didn't have John Stockton? You know that you some people just are called to assist. I love that when you read the book of Ether, if David Didn't you like how I just went along like I was a jazz fan. Listen, I just you live in Utah, was so no so matter what you're it. partly a jazz fan. I just and want everyone to know that I just sat here and I just was so happy to <laughs> that be was called so that. Nice. Mm-hmm. That was very nice of you. Um, one of your favorite parts is they're just finishing up the Book of Mormon, and there is in Ether, chapter five, verse two, um, there is this one verse that just David could write his name right next to for the rest of his life in the Book of Mormon, which I think is so fun because it says, And behold, ye may be privileged that ye may show the plates unto those who shall assist to bring forth this work. And unto three shall they be shown by the power of God, wherefore they shall know of a surety that these things are true. And now how fun is it to be called to assist Mm. in that moment? Because... That assisting might not ever have a title that comes with it, but it does have a privilege that comes with it. And I love the thought of the privilege. I also love what you were talking about there, that it's so interesting because Joseph was the type of leader that relied on assistance from the very beginning. If you you want to start right when, I mean, think about Alvin was a champion of the cause. Lucy was, Joseph was. When he gets the plates, who goes with him to assist? Emma goes. Emma goes. Yeah. And, and next the knights you know, are there and the stoles yeah, and the are coming are there and, and the stoles. And then the next thing you know, Martin is there and he's going to assist. And then Oliver is. And, and Joseph builds up this church because of those who have come to assist. And it makes me think, I, w- I want to assist. That's mm-hmm. what I want to do. I want to be part of that. Every time I read this, it reminds me of a calling that I served in many, many years ago when my kids were really small. I was in the Young Women's. I had been called to be the Laurel Advisor. And the Young Women's President was a woman by the name of Cecilia Corey. I'll never forget her name because I loved her so much. And I think I learned more about leadership from her than any other person I served under. And when I went to my first meeting, She's, we sat down and we were all in a circle and at the meeting was not just the presidency, but all of the advisors, all of the personal progress people. It was when you still had those, all of the, there was like 11 of us in that meeting. And there was a decision that needed to be made. And she told us what the bishop had asked and the decision that needed to be made. And I can remember thinking at the time, well, why didn't she just make the decision? She's the president and she's, obviously capable of just telling him this is how we're going to handle it and then she said i want to hear everyone's opinion and advice what you would do and why and we went through the whole circle every single person said what they thought about that thing and then as soon as it came back to her she said this is what we will do after listening to all the advice this is what we will do and i just felt the spirit so strongly in that moment And there was not a time that we served in that calling the entire time that I was in that calling that she didn't ask for people to assist. Not once did she make a decision on her own. Mm. And I actually loved that about her. I loved her gift to be able to invite people 
into the work because if you were called to assist to assist Cecilia Corey, that was tricky. <laughs> if you were called to assist Cecilia Corey, then you were going to be involved in that work. That's just the way she led. And isn't that a great leader that yeah. you know when you're called to assist, great things are going to be expected of you and you are going to be part of what is taking place there. Yeah. And I think this will come up next time too, that every time we, every time I think about this, where you're like, you do see people who are visually seem to be doing bigger things, you know, and then there's the people who are just the helpers, almost the assisters. And it's like, once we get into section 18 and the Lord teaches us, this is the worth of souls. Like you recognize that, wait, everybody's mm -hmm. work really has deep significance, yes, right? Because it's for individual That's so good. people. Um, I, in our fill in the blank here in the journal where he says, I am Jesus, thou art, I wrote David and you can write David, but it would be fun <laughs> if you wrote like the scriptures say David <laughs> and he is David. And I am David. And so you could, but I think it's kind of neat if you write your own name right there. And there's a neat reminder for those who sometimes get a little overwhelmed with the responsibilities that they have as a, um, as a dad, most recently is when I've kind of been overwhelmed by this a little bit or um, any calling in the church or as a friend, he's, I like that Jesus says, wherefore I am a spring forth the fullness of my gospel. And it's just so neat for him to say like, I, I'm going to figure, mm -hmm. I will do this. I'm bringing you along for the thrill of the ride. Um, it, it's just kind of yeah. neat that he's just like, I can, he's, he can do it. Yeah. But he's just like, do you want to be a part of it? You can, and you're going to love it. Don't worry though. Don't be stressed about it. Because I'm gonna make sure it all comes about. Oh, that's it's so gonna, good. It's gonna work out. Um, so one thing that's kind of neat that you know you'll see on here a little phrase mm -hmm. I like get a kick out of every time I read the Doctrine and Covenants. When you come over to 15 and 16, you've got um, John Whitmer and Peter Whitmer Jr., um, two other of the brothers. These three are brothers: David, Peter, and John. Are all what is it should have been James? Yeah. What was they didn't we don't like know. the Bible? Okay, <laughs> um, but. If you look at this in the heading, it's really interesting. Go to the heading of section 15 when little John asks the same question. And, oh, I was like, why do I know that name? It's Robin Hood's friend. Yes. Little John. Okay. And you for sure want a pen for this part because you want to mark it and remember it. This lesson is, I think, such a good lesson. <laughs> okay. I So you look at section 15 and in the middle it says, the message is intimately and impressively personal and that the Lord tells of what was known only to John Whitmer and himself so that's interesting because you're like whoa first of all i can't believe they printed this for the whole world because it's <laughs> intimate and impressive it's it's so personal it's impressive you know mm -hmm. but this is kind of fun to do if you're kind of teaching a class or um with, with your, your kids. kids or something like that have one person read section 15 and have one person read section 16 at the same exact time and what you're going to find as you do it is except for one word, they are identical to each other. So when I first read that, the heading, and it was like, this one is impressively and intimately personal. And then I read the next section and I was like, it's the same. Like that's this, that is not, that's a lie. That is not impressive at all. <laughs> you know, 100% identical to each other. And I was like, well, that is, and I sat there and I was thinking about it. And then I thought about my mission call. Um, which is identical um, to everybody else who is called at the same time. Um, and people called to my mission, 
like legitimately, except for a name, was the exact same. Word for word. All of it, Mm -hmm. you know, printed by a computer, you know, a stamped signature, you know. President Hinckley didn't even get out the pen, you know, for me. (laughs) It was already just recorded in there. And, but then I thought about my service there and I thought, my word, that whole experience was um, impressively intimate to me. Um, It was very, very personal. And the things I learned and the experiences I had and the companionship and, and service together with God were so, so personal on an impressive level. And I have loved thinking of these sections ever since. And yes, it sounds like they are going to be the same. You're both called to Sunday school teachers. Mm-hmm. You're both called as missionaries. You're both called as you're, you're, whatever it is that somebody is. But your experiences are going to be impressively and intimately um, personal and so unique to your circumstances, your gifts, and, and what is going to happen. So as we move on to this, and, and you can think about some of the other ways that that happens. Baptismal prayers are the same. Temple endowment sessions are identical. And and yet they can be so personal. Very, right? Yeah. So as we like, we put some verses on the study guide sheet, like you start seeing a lot of the same words and a lot of the same phrases that are answered to these people, to Joseph and Hiram and, and Peter and John and like David. And it's interesting, it's fun right here to just stop and think, who has been called to assist up yeah. to this point? If you were going to sit with your family and you were like, okay, it started with Joseph and Emma was brought right in and Lucy and yeah. Joseph and Samuel and Alvin, we know, was a champion of the cause and, and Hiram. Hiram and the sisters hid the sheets in their bed so they came along. The plates. I mean, yeah. You always <laughs> have confusing. sheets hidden in your bed. They hid the plates in their sheets is what I meant to say. Um, so they're in and then we get Martin. Well, and then and you get um, Emma's brother yep. who gives him the land to like be there and helps and the out as a scribe and the knights and, and the, the stoles. stoles. And the whole Colesville branch. Right. And then you're going to get... Um, then the Whitmer family. Yeah, comes the Whitmer in, family and, and Oliver, Oliver is going to be. And all of them are kind of asking the same question. And it's interesting because when you look at the bottom of that journal, a lot of them are getting a similar response. They're getting a similar assignment or a similar call, which makes you start thinking if that many people were receiving that same call, then it probably is true for us. So we went back through the Doctrine and Covenants and we were like, let's look for what was the most similar calls at the beginning of the church, at the beginning of this building up of the kingdom. What did they look like? And we found four that just were so common every time someone came to Joseph and said, how can I help? And we just want to quickly talk through some of those. And I was just thinking about this, that if if you read the history of these, 14, 15, and 16, all three brothers came at the same time. But Joseph went to the Urim and Thummim for all three of them. And, he, and they were written out. And it's really, really interesting to me that it doesn't just say at the beginning, hey, John, Peter, David, and mm-hmm. then one section. But it was like, one. For you. Here's your next one. They all come like right after each other. And, but, but they don't get combined because these things that we're going to find, for example, the first one is thrust in your sickle with all of your might. That's going to be different for David. And it's going to look for, different. It's going to look different, mm-hmm. right? You're going to thrust in your sickle in this way, and you're going to thrust in your sickle in this way, and you're going to thrust in your sickle in this way. That's a biblical reference, obviously, to like a gathering. 
to a harvesting, to doing the work of the Lord. And that's one thing that you find common across all of these people in the early days asking is, what what can I do? And the Lord says, get to work. Mm. You know, my harvest is already. And not, have you ever noticed it doesn't say already, A-L-L space yes. ready? It says already. already. Yeah. It's already, it's ready. <laughs> it's, it's already, go. Yes. Like, you can jump in right now. No waiting yes, needed. That is just, so true. It's white. It's ready to go. And so he's just thrust in your sickle with all of your might. And it might be fun to just put put this up so they can see it. If you have your journals, you're going to have all the verses right in your journal. If you don't, yeah, if you take there. a screenshot. Oh, right now. Just hold still. Okay. Uh, then you can, you'll have all those verses you need. But the four things that we saw that were just so common was thrust in your sickle was number one. Desire was number two. Three was to ask and then receive. And four was to bring people to repentance. So let's just think about those four really quick. You were talking about thrusting in your sickle. Yeah, one of the things that we love about that um, is that there's a promise with it where he just says, um, you will treasure up salvation to your own soul. And we were just talking about that before we started filming. That's a great discussion to have. We're just like, wait, is my salvation dependent upon me working with all of my heart, my mind, and strength, thrusting in my sickle? And maybe another word instead of salvation, the meaning there seems to be um, exaltation, like that process of becoming. That as somebody thrusts in their sickle with all of their might, mind, and strength, and the work of God, something's going to happen to them. They're going to change. They're going to become more like mm. um, he is. And just, I mean, we just when you just think about those times that you've done that, when you've been in the work of rescue, when you've been in the work of lifting, when you've been in the work of reaching out, those are words you would, you would attribute to the Savior. And I love that as you think about it, as you are working on salvation, um, that saving grace requires belief in Christ, right? We know yeah. that it does. We, you read it all through Scripture. It requires that belief in Christ. And as you reach out to instill in someone else a belief in Christ, you are helping to extend salvation to that person. And so it is a the work of salvation. But as you extend that work of salvation to someone else, it becomes exalting for you. That yeah. The process of that extending that belief in Jesus Christ helps us to become more like Jesus Christ, right? We're doing exactly what he did for us. We become saviors on Mount Zion, and that process actually exalts us. Yeah. Here's this cross-reverence you might love. Alma talking about the same kind of thing. In Alma 29, verse 10, he says, Behold, when I see many of my brethren truly penitent and coming to the Lord their God, then is my soul filled with joy. Mm. Or why wouldn't you say, then my soul's filled with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Then do I remember what the Lord has done for me. Yea, even that he hath heard my prayers. Then do I remember his merciful arm, which he extended towards me. And it's just so neat to think about how cyclical this is, Yeah, you know, as you get involved in the work. So what a fun discussion to kind of talk about. What's the relationship between being involved in the work of Jesus and then and how that changes you and, and, and brings salvation and life to your own soul. Yep. And it's so interesting because you're bringing increase and progress to the work of the Lord, to the church. But you're also going to experience increase and progress in your own soul mm. through the work of it, which is so awesome. Um, I love as he talks about that desire 
just having a desire to be part of the work, that that is your inclination is, I want to be in this. I want to be all in. That's what the people were saying at the time is, is how can I be all in? Which is interesting because I don't know if that is a common response in our day. And how neat it would be to just think, I want to have that kind of desire. I want to be all in this work and how can I help? And then not just having the desire, but number two actually leads into number three because it's letting that desire work in you until at some point you ask and you receive direction from the Lord, right? We, um, Ezra Tapp Benson tells us, the most important question we can ask in our lifetime is that question, Lord, what would you have me do? What does that look like? And as many times as we ask that question, we are going to receive. Uh, President Hinckley told us that was the summum bonum of it all. If there was any question or any process we could go through, it would be to ask and then receive. And what if that became the pattern of our life? Which then leads us into most likely the answer that's going to come when we ask. The answer that we will receive is number four. Yeah, and we, it's neat that right there in the scripture says the thing which will be of the most worth to you. Tell me the best ways. Like there's so many good things you can do. Mm. So many good things. But let me tell you, the thing that will be of most worth is um, to preach repentance to this people. And um, you might be thinking to yourself, and we have a little spot down here. It's like, okay, what's that going to look like? And remember what that word repentance means. Yeah, and we love, I'm going to set this down and try not to make too much noise. But we love just reminding you of this symbol that repent is these two R's. And it is this turning again to Christ. And it's almost like that's what you're declaring is, let me just turn you again to Christ. Yeah. That's going to be of the greatest worth to everyone. Right. That, simply that. What does repentance mean? It means turning someone to something better than what they have, to some good news, to something. And and oh, I, I wish I could remember who said this. It didn't originate <laughs> with me, so don't give me credit. But um, someone then asked a question. So are we supposed to, is every lesson and every talk then supposed to be about repentance? Is that what we should do? Uh, no, because there's a lot of really inspiring things that Charity, we should be talking hope. about, right? Yeah. But at the end of every talk, and the end of every lesson, and perhaps we should say at the end of every conversation, is somebody feel inclined to turn to God? Have they learned something about him, about his nature and character that would lead them to want to love him and look mm. to him better? And if, if that happens, if at the end of all of those, we think I actually am intrigued to turn to him, to look to him, I feel like he would have the answers and would and accept me. And if, if that's the end feeling, then we have preached repentance yes is what i would say about that so so rad if you're asking that question how can i help we found those four big themes but you might find other things in there that are that are so um intimately and impressively personal to whatever, whatever it is that you're doing and we left you spots to be able to actually ask those questions intimately and personally and fill in those spots so think through that but then we want to jump to 17. Okay, now 17 has a little bit of a difference. So if you remember the prayer and the need and the situation and all those others was books about to be done and people are wanting to help, that's great. 17 has a little bit of a unique situation and it's um, it's getting to the end of the, of the translation or it's finished, we're not sure. 
And um, David and Martin, Martin particular has already kind of asked about this, but now David and Oliver are starting to get the same kind of impression and like kind of inkling little thought like, wait, we heard back in Ether when we were translating and Doctrine and Covenants 5 and again in Second Nephi at the end there that there are meant to be witnesses um, you know, to this work. Like it's, it's come up a couple of times and they come to Joseph and Joseph goes to the Lord and the answer is 17. Um, these three men asking in particular and specifically, now everybody else who didn't ask specifically wishes they did. I yes. like, dang it, I should have asked. <laughs> yes. Right? He's like, I know, I told you, you should ask. Um, and the Lord actually answers in 17. And you can see some of this back in five also. So on yeah. the study guide sheet, you'll see um, some of those back in five where the Lord says, oh, I've actually had a plan all along to have a have witnesses, you know, and have this witness go forth first from me, the Lord bears his testimony first in 17 and then says, and then Joseph, your job is to be a witness. And then now you three, you are actually going to be witnesses to that book. And before we jump into the words of 17, uh, let's just talk about the witnesses yeah, for, for so just a minute, because this is such a great place to kind of like strengthen and empower people um, and just kind of give, I don't know, just like enduring the story's like too good to be true, you know? Like Joseph goes to the hill and brings out this this plate and you like want it to be true so bad, but it's like, man, can I really dive into that and give it? And and I think the Lord is providing some um, great fertile ground to believe in here. Um, these three witnesses will get to actually see the plates. Angel Moroni comes and he, and he shows them um, to them. Um, out in the woods behind the Peter Whitmer home. They get to go out there and there's a neat lesson in there too with Martin. You may remember that the three of them go out there and and uh, they're praying one at a time and nothing's happening and Martin's finally like, it's me. I'm the problem. And he excuses himself. And then the angel comes once Martin's gone and shows, you know, the, the other two and they have that experience with Joseph. I do love then that Joseph goes to Martin. Oh, I do too. It's one right. of my favorite parts. Right? right. And, that, and Martin keeps trying. That He's yeah. like... Okay, if there's something that's not quite right in me, I'm going to work through that because this is that important to me. Yeah, and that Joseph's there to say, I'll work through it with you. Yes. And they do, and I'm not sure what happens. Those are things of the soul. But then the angel comes, and Joseph and Martin then get to see all of the, the items together. Joseph goes home after that experience, and according to mm -hmm. his mom, uh, in the book, uh, The History of Joseph Smith by his mother, he says he plops down on the bed and he's just like so relieved. And he just says, finally, mom, everybody knows I'm not deceiving them. I finally have people by my side who know. Isn't that what he says? Yeah. Now they know like, for oh. themselves. And it's just like, what a, what a relief. It's a little bit time later, back in Palmyra, um, that Joseph takes the eight witnesses out. So eight witnesses back into the Saker Grove area and the eight witnesses now get to see the plates. And they get to, it says, heft them and examine the writings on them, turn the pages mm. inside and like kind of pass them around and, and all eight of those. Now, once they're done, the Lord says, I want you to put your testimony into the front of the, of the record. And they do. And you can find those in, in the front of those. One of the things that is so intriguing about their witnesses is 
all three of the three witnesses will end up walking away from Joseph and the church. And we'll talk about those details when we get to it later in the history. And three of the eight witnesses also do the same. They fall away or are excommunicated uh, from the church. Um, of those, two of the witnesses end up coming back. Um, Martin Harris and Oliver Cowdery end up coming back to the faith. We talked about them last time. Yeah, they like really, got, or a couple times yeah, ago. Martin got buried right with the Book of Mormon yeah. in his hand. But and, one, oh, go ahead. And Oliver's story. Is oh, so, yeah. Were you like, I want to be reunited, you know, together um, with the saints again. One thing, though, that's interesting is particularly with David, who never comes back, uh, and all three of them, while they were gone, while they were away from the faith and out of sorts with Joseph, never do they deny their testimony of seeing the plates of the Book of Mormon. They stayed true to that. All three of them have deathbed witnesses yep, of, you, and their, their testimony. You have one from David Whitmer that is from this book that we love, Who's Who in the Doctrine and Covenants. And we have started linking you to this so that you can find these on our webpage. So if you're looking for these, the book is out of, um, it's out of stock right now. So we have found a way to help you find those. It says this, just before his death, David called his family and a few friends to his bedside. Turning to his attending physician, he said, Dr. Buchanan, I want you to say whether or not I am in my right mind before I give my dying testimony. The doctor answered, yes, you are in your right mind. David then bore testimony. I want to say to you all, the Bible and the record of the Nephites is so true so you can say that you have heard me bear my testimony on my deathbed. Yeah. Now, that's David, who was out of the church at the time that, that he said that. And we're going to link um, a spot to read all of these testimonies on our website for you also. But it's just really intriguing to go through all of them. And um, even one I think would be important to point out that you'll see is... Um, I mean, I love that one. You'll find one from Thomas B. Marsh because he's out of the church. And so is David at the same time. And Thomas Marsh comes to him and he's like, all right, man, now we're both out. Give me the skinny. Mm -hmm. You know, was it made up? And he's like, no, I, I, I saw them. That is real. That is true. Another big argument is they kind of saw them in vision. You know, they spiritually saw them. And uh, that's a big argument against their witnesses. But luckily it got brought up while they were alive and people asked them. And Martin Harris says, um, as surely as I see you right now, I saw the plates. I saw them with these eyes. I saw them with these hands. David Whitmer will slap his bed. As sure as I see this bed, <laughs> I saw them. And so it just leaves you in this really interesting place, right? Yes. Where it's like, okay, that does not prove that the Book of Mormon is true. Well, it's pretty ironclad, but it, you know, like, but there's enough evidence that you can't dismiss it either. And we have a, um, a scholar we love so much from the New Testament. Um, he was not talking about the Book of Mormon plates. Um, <laughs> he was talking about defending Christianity. But he says this, Though argument does not create conviction, the lack of it destroys belief. So even though you can argue and give evidence for it, it doesn't create the conviction. But if you don't have any, it would be easy to dismiss it. He says this, rational argument does not create belief, but it maintains a climate in which belief may flourish. Mm -hmm. 
And it just, to have those witnesses, to have witnesses who fell away and still stayed true, puts in front of all of us this really fertile ground to believe in. We're just like, okay, there's enough evidence there that I can give this the time of day. I can give it my heart. I can give it my attention. And so that's one of the reasons we love talking about the witnesses' yep, and the stories. Three witnesses. Yeah. I can remember being in a class where someone was talking about the three witnesses and they actually took us to the testimony of the three witnesses, which would be so fun to do with your kids. And, and just talked about what they knew, that they knew of a surety that says four times in there, this is what we know now. And to talk about those four things, but this is what I love. The man who was teaching the class had us all get out a pen. And when we were done studying this, he said, you add your name to the bottom of the list of witnesses. And he had us write our name, which you can see right there. And then he just had to say, I am a witness of this book. And I love every time I turn here thinking, I've had my own experiences. I might not have seen them or touched them with these hands, but I have had personal experience with the Book of Mormon that allows me to know it's true. Yeah. And to remember those moments and just to put your name down. I want to be known as a witness of this book. We love that as you go into section 17, and it's good. Well, do you want to talk about this? Because this is so fun. Oh. And then we'll do that next. Yeah, yeah. Okay. This is just really, real quick, where you just kind of see the Lord's plan for witnesses. It is like, all along I've had this plan. 17.6 is the Lord's testimony, where he just says, I have commanded him, and as your Lord and your God liveth, it is true. It's just kind of neat that the first testimony of the Book of Mormon is Jesus. Yeah. And then he says, Joseph, now your job back in 5.10 you're supposed to bear witness of this. And you three, you are supposed to bear witness of this. And what's neat with those three, back in, if you go back into five for just a quick second, um, in 11, he just tells them, in addition to your testimony, the testimony of three of my servants, who I will call, and they will go forth with my words throughout the world. And as they go throughout the world, then it's almost like a domino, right? So their witness then comes to someone like Emily and then she's just like, okay, now That's I have my, my chance, my turn and witnesses. And so it's just neat that the Lord said, um, the truth of this is going to be passed on person to person. That is how it's going to happen. I'm not going to drop them out of the sky, but instead I'm going to let it go from one soul to one soul until everybody like, it's so neat yep. that that is the method and mode that he is choosing to pass on faith person to person. Yeah, so good. Um, I love, as I was reading it this time, I thought it's so interesting because in verse one of section 17, he says, behold, I say unto you that you must rely upon my word, which if you do with full purpose of heart, then you are going to have a view. And now he's going to list what they're going to see. One is going to be the plates. This right? is the show Which and tell. Joseph has told him about. Yeah, this is the show and tell. <laughs> and Jesus is so good at it. And he doesn't just bring one thing. Yes, you know, he's, he's like, like, oh, I you want the plates? Yeah. <laughs> it's like every sex of the Doctrine and Covenants is like that, isn't it? It's yes. like, oh, good question. I'll answer that. And then there's so much more. <laughs> so he's, they're going to see the plates. They get to see the breastplate and the sword of Laban. The Urim and Thummim, which were given to the brother of Jared upon the mount when he talked with the Lord face to face, and the miraculous directors, which were given to Lehi. And as I was reading this time, I thought it's so interesting that that's what is kept in the box because it's almost like it is a box of faith 
builders. If you were to go back and look through and you start thinking, okay, when Joseph or when Nephi got the breastplate and the sword of Laban, do you remember it came right after this verse where he says, and I was led by the spirit, not knowing beforehand the things which I should do. Nevertheless, I was led forth. And the sword of Laban becomes a reminder of what happens when you allow yourself to be led by the spirit. And then don't you think he probably picked up the next one and he was like, and here is the Urim and Thummim from the brother of Jared. Because you remember the brother of Jared was led by the spirit because he knew not what to do, but nevertheless, he went forth. And this was the tool that gave him the ability and the courage and, and access to me. And now let me remind you of Lehi. And same thing, he was led by the spirit, not knowing where he should go. Nevertheless, he went forth and he's gonna show them that ball. And they each have mm -hmm. this experience of saying, these are all people who were led by the spirit because they didn't know what to do. And that's gonna become you, right? And it's gonna become me, and it's gonna become you, and it's gonna become all of us. That the Lord wants to remind us, he will send us faith builders to say, here, remember this worked before here, and it worked before here, and it worked before here, and it's gonna work for you. You enter into this with full purpose of heart, and I will build your faith. I will remind you how revelation works. And they had, he tells them in verse seven, you have received the same power and the same faith and the same gift, right? It's the, it's the same. It's the same for all of us. That gift that is going to help us assist in the work of the Lord. Yeah, the job may look different depending on the stage of life or depending on where in the world somebody lives or or what their abilities are, what their capacity is, and all these factors, right? But it's gonna be with the same power and the same faith and the same gift as the brother of Jared, as Nephi, as Lehi and family, as Joseph, as the witnesses, and and as you. And, and then he says, and if you do these last commandments of mine, these last instructions of mine, which I've given you, um, the gates of hell will not prevail against you. You will find that my grace is sufficient for you and that you will be lifted up at the last day. Those will be the things that will be the same for everybody who engages and assists in, in this work. And that's our word, P.S. Yes, for, for this week, week. If you haven't yep. seen that, is it's assist. to assist. So. Yep. so fun. Such a good one. So we hope there's something there. We love that there's so much you can apply to your own life and your own questions and your own moving forward and we hope that you found something there that you and the spirit can work with and the privileges that you will find as you dive into this great work okay y'all we will see you next week some good ones next week not that this wasn't <laughs> this audio was taken from a youtube video from our youtube channel you can find us on youtube at don't miss this also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.